What song was written in 1984 but became the very first hit single of the 1990s? If you've glanced at your phone, you already know. It's Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You, released on January 8th, 1990. Apparently back then, singles were released on Mondays. The song was written and recorded by Prince for a side project, but wasn't released until after his death, the Prince version. Instead, it ended up on the second album of an up-and-coming Irish singer-songwriter. This is a type of song that probably goes back as far as vocal music, a breakup song, and it begins with a line that anyone who's ever been broken up with can instantly understand. It's been seven hours and 15 days. It's an unforgettable line. Well, as we'll see, maybe not totally unforgettable. Today on Hidden Jukebox, Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. I don't know how you figured out that this was released on a Monday, but I'm surprised they were still doing that because uh, the Boomtown Rats taught us in 1981 that we don't like, we don't Mondays. like Mondays. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Good uh, call. This this was uh, the first hit of the 90s. Yeah. This will be the earliest song that we ever do on this show. I don't know. I want to find something that was released on the previous Monday. I don't think I don't think it exists, but <laughs> I, th- this was very early on January. Yes. 8th. So so and I remember absolutely when this came out, this this song felt like an event when it was released. I was uh, not even 10 years old when yeah. this came out, but but I was already watching MTV and the whole thing was confusing to me. I mean, a nine year old boy living in Portland like I didn't. I didn't understand why she was bald. Oh, sure. I didn't understand the lyrics. I was at that age where I was like, girls are gross. Sure. So there was no appeal to this song to me at all. I, I don't know if I if I would have said that I liked the song at the time, but it certainly made an impression. Well, first things first, songs written by Prince. Okay, um, songs I, written by Prince. This song's written by Prince, but yes. there there are many songs written by Prince. Yeah. Um, I think that most people know that. If, most, if, most people know that most songs are written by Prince. If if, if there's no other give, giveaway, Prince felt the need early on to change any time he used the word two or you to the number two and the letter you. So Absolutely. when you see that this song's written in that format, you're like, oh, so it's written by Prince. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, and he was doing that many years before people started texting, and (laughs) I feel like he was ahead of his time in all things. He also created the emoji. Yes. Like, I've been been thinking about Prince because I recently moved into a new music practice space. Um, You can laugh at me again for having a practice space. Uh, and uh, the the guys who already are I'm sharing the practice space with have a nice uh, Prince uh, poster on the wall. And so I was thinking about because I've been writing more songs lately, and writing songs is terrible. It makes me feel bad, but I but I love the part after I finish doing it. And the thing about Prince is like he wrote so many great songs, and he did it I think probably the way most people do it, only more so by writing an enormous number of songs, and some of them were good. And that's not to discount like that he was a genius because he was but the guy wrote like a thousand songs i mean he literally lived in his studio a thousand might actually be an understatement an understatement he basically went down to the studio every day and recorded something so uh from what the uh what are they called the the people who now own his estate or or watch over his music. I don't know. Executors. Uh, executors. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, from what the executors say, there are thousands of hours of recordings in there, some of which are probably just 
snippets of of some idea he had, some which are fully produced songs right. because he was doing everything on his own. Yeah, and Sinead O'Connor was a a great songwriter in her own right, who happened not to have written her biggest hit, which probably kind of stung. And and. A lot of people think that this song was handed to her by Prince, which apparently it wasn't. Apparently, she just heard the song, liked it, and recorded it. But where would she have heard it? Um, Because it had been recorded and been a minor hit for one of Prince's kind of side Uh, projects called The Family in 1985. And I could not find The Family on Spotify, but I could find this recording on YouTube. Okay. And... Apparently, people who loved this band really loved this band. Like, it's comment after comment that that's like, when I think of Nothing Compares to You, I don't even think of the Sinead O'Connor version. I think of the family version, which is like, bullshit. Yeah, but, uh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, that, so, so it's a situation like the uh, Natalie Imbruglia song. Uh, Torn, which was like not even a hit, but like was re- previously recorded by a, by a small indie band who I can't even remember the name of. And if you listen to that version, it's not super different. Um, but that band, like you know, the, the whoever wrote that song for the for this band that I can't even remember the name of, like you know, is now set for life because of that one hit. As I've said, I only listen to my friend Raj's karaoke version of that song now. Shout right. out to Raj. Um, so other. Uh, famous songs written by Prince, not performed by Prince. Oh, okay. Uh, there's quite a few of them, but I Feel For You by Shaka Khan, which there's also a famous version by Prince. I remember when that song came out, too. That's, that's a great song. I, I didn't know this, but Stand Back by Stevie Nicks, not by Stevie Nicks, written by Prince. Wait, I don't think that's correct. I think that they co-wrote it. Something like that. I th- or or that she said it was directly inspired by Prince, but I don't think he actually wrote the song. I f- found something that said that he co-wrote the song, but you might be right. Um, I mean, it does it does sound like he could have, for sure. Definitely Manic Monday Absolutely. by the Bengals, which sounds like Prince when you, go, when you think about it and go, oh, yeah, that's definitely a Prince-style song. And then, of course, Jungle Love by the time. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, there is, uh, you know, a very obscure indie band that I like called The Three O'Clock, um, which is like a like an eighties uh, uh, California like uh, they friends of the Bangles. And Prince produced their final album, which is not very good, uh, and contributed a song to it. So the guy would write a song for anyone. Well, and and most people, even the biggest Prince fans, will admit that when you write the scope and amount of music that Prince wrote uh, there's just going to be some total duds in there and he's got some great songs and then he's got entire albums that I would never go back and listen to Okay. Now, you the next thing you put on here is uh, is some real nerdy music theory shit and I am excited to hear what you're talking about because I read I just read it and I'm not sure. So you're going to have to sing it. So, uh I, I started listening to the different versions of this song because it was recorded by Prince. It was recorded by The Family. It was recorded by Sinead O'Connor. It was recorded by Chris Cornell. Yeah. And then you start going down the list and Aretha Franklin I didn't has realize a version. There's an Aretha, I listened to the Aretha Franklin version. It is not good. It's not good at all. Like they, Aretha Franklin, probably the greatest vocalist who has ever lived. Not her best n- moment. No, no. And it's, it's on an album called Something Like Aretha Sings the Classics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people have recorded this song. Uh, 
everybody does the chord changes basically the same way, but the melody a little bit different. And so first off, this song is deceptively complex. There's no bridge. It's it's a lot of the same chord changes. So it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on, but the first chorus is completely different from the second chorus in terms of chord changes. Oh, one, one of them interesting. I don't think I even noticed moves this. to the five which is the the uh dominant of yep. the, of the main key and one of them moves to the two which gives a strange feel. So, when Prince recorded this and when the family recorded this and they're singing the chorus they they end the main line on the on the uh, one on on the root of the song. So they're saying, "Nothing compares to you." Oh, and, I don't like that at all. No, then, I, now I know what you mean. And so Sinead does this weird thing where she does a minor third down to the second, and I'm not sure I can do this acapella because even when I was Nothing nine years old, I'm like. To you, yeah, it's yeah. it's really um, strange. It it's it does not seem to work, and it gives this kind of jarring feeling, like like that she that the that the chorus is incomplete or something that she's not finished with her idea. I I see what you mean. Like I don't think I even noticed because I listened to I listened to the uh, all three of those versions. I don't think this even jumped out at me. But now that you pointed out. Like I see what you mean. That is really interesting. So like, so okay. So so there's like a chord substitution in the second chorus. My my bandmate Lauren would call that like a mildly spicy chord substitution. <laughs> I always I, look, I laugh every time she says I, this. I I would love to know what a majorly spicy chord substitution is. I don't know some chord I don't even know the name of. But yeah. uh, okay, now now I want to like I might even like drop this in like like clips from the two choruses so so people can compare. Well, and then you should drop in the Chris Cornell one as well, because he's taking Sinead's version and doing it. But even he leads a major third into the second, which this has gone into total nerdery. And we've probably lost yeah, everybody. I did, at this I point. did notice that that Chris Cornell plays with the melody quite a bit. And let's go ahead and get into this now. Uh, also plays with the lyrics because of the three, I think, probably best-known versions of this song, the Prince, Chris Cornell, and, of course, Sinead O'Connor, all of them put a different number of days in the first line. So uh, Sinead O'Connor, 15 days. Uh, Chris Cornell, 16 days? Yes. Yes, and Prince, 13 days. I... I think here's what I think happened. I do have a theory here that can probably never be confirmed, which is I think 15 days sounds better than 13 days. 13 has that that weak uh, consonant in the middle that's not as fun to sing. And then I think when Chris Cardell did it, he just didn't check and and misremembered it as 16. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I was reading something about somebody performed this song – 
seven hours and 15 days after Prince died. And I can't remember which okay, re- which sure. recording artist it was, but I don't know what that lyric refers to exactly. What I will say is I have always loved the lyric since you've been gone, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. So first, there's this implication that I wasn't able to do whatever I want when you were around, but now that you're gone, I can. And, but and the first wait, the first thing that they say is is I can see whomever I choose. I can eat dinner in a fancy restaurant. Also implying that whatever this relationship was, unfortunately, couldn't go to any fancy restaurants. And yet it worked. Let me, okay, so I feel like I totally get what what she's saying there, what uh, or what Prince is saying there, whoever's saying it. Um, and like, uh, you know, con- content warning, uh, pet death. Like, our cat died recently, and I remember thinking, like, okay, like, now I don't have to deal with all the things that suck about having a cat. Like, you know, it smells terrible. Oh. Like, clean out the litter box. Like, you know, the cat trying to, like, sit on, like, we're playing cards and the cat, like, comes and, like, bats all the cards away. But, like, I can't enjoy, like, you know, it is it is better to not have to deal with those things, but I can't enjoy the fact that it's better because the fucking cat is dead. I went through this exact yeah. same thing in 2019. Yeah. And, and there was this certain level of guilt where it was like, I'm happy about this, but I feel guilty that I'm happy about yeah, this. Yeah, no, I think the lyrics of the song are really good. Oh, it it So there's this thing in the video where Sinead starts crying at the end. Mm-hmm. And that actually happened. It was her choice and she used her mother's death from a few years before as a way to to sure. get the tears flowing. Um but this song is so emotive, like yeah. like the lyrics just kind of work in a way that anybody who's been in a bad breakup in a difficult relationship listen to it and go, oh, that's so good. And and really, like as a song, it doesn't sound like a hit, but this was a major major hit. I think it hit number one. I I wrote it down somewhere in something like. 20, 20 countries, countries yeah. while going gold or platinum in 10. I mean, it. people just related to this song. Yeah, and but I mean the the performance was great. The melody is great. You know the the like ratcheting up and down of tension, uh, harmonic tension is great. Like just everything about this song works. I think. And uh, yet, no bridge, uh, no drums until something like a minute into the, the song. The, where the drums come in is an interesting choice because I think the drums come in on I'm I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant, which is like almost the end of the verse. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's like it's when you break it down, it has these interesting things about it where it's like, well, it doesn't follow popular song format, but the her vocal performance on this, which, again, supposedly she did in one take is just haunting. It, yeah, it's amazing. I do think the third verse sort of acts as a bridge because the vocal line is different. I think the chord progression is the same. But, you know, the all the flowers that you planted, mama, comes off a little differently because because of the the uh, vocal line. Well, and and you said uh, the song is all, almost acapella except for the string pads at the beginning, which you mentioned George Michael's One More Try. Yeah. That, Gr- great, great song. That is one of my all time favorite songs. It's probably my favorite song to sing at karaoke, even though it's a real downer. Um, and a very difficult song to sing. <laughs> I can I can do it pretty well. Nice. Um, 
That's on I the mean, next episode. To, to be fair, that's that's why I like to do a good karaoke because that's the one I can pull out and and people are like, oh, I didn't realize that guy could sing. Um, but the the thing that I like really only learned to appreciate recently, partly because like a few months ago, there was a, an episode of Song Exploder uh, with Lucy Dacus. Do you, do you know Lucy Dacus? At I all? do. Okay. Um, I think her new album is terrific. Um, it's my favorite of her albums. It's I, called. I, I think everybody who's heard that album thinks it's terrific. It's okay, a really yeah, great album. Video. Um, she did a Song Exploder episode about the song Thumbs, which is a, a really uh, intense song um, about uh, about abuse and about like how to stand up for someone uh, who uh, you know has has something like that in their background and. She talks about, like, I think it was one of the best ever episodes of Song Exploder, because sometimes, like, they'll have on, you know, like, they had, like, U2 on, they're like, yeah, I wrote the guitar part, and, and like, you know, then Bono came up with the vocal, and then we sang it, and it sounded like this. We're like, okay, like, that's cool, but, like, what's the story? Whereas this song she wrote years ago, um, f- first had to, like, play it for the person it's about and get permission um, to, to, like, you know, kind of lay her life out there in a song, but then kept recording the song and like at one point she said like you know she went into the studio at night with like all her favorite uh, collaborators and favorite producers and like you know uh did this super emotional acoustic guitar recording and they went to bed all thinking like we've got a hit and went back and listened to it the next day and like this is not right this this is not what this song needs it's not going to work and eventually they tried it acapella and i think acapella is a really hard thing to do and eventually settled on basically the same approach as one more try or nothing compares to you which was which is start with vocals and a boring synth pad playing chords that doesn't call attention to itself at all and is just there to like give the vocals something to sit on and and she ended up recording most of the parts yeah right? i think she's playing everything pretty much on on that track which Sinead is mostly doing on this the, this song was oh, Lu- yeah lucy dacus i i don't know if she played everything on that track it's quite possible but but Sinead, i think is playing everything on this song um this song is produced by a guy uh, i'm gonna need to find this um who who's produced a lot of big hits sure um here we go uh ah nelly hooper so, okay. So Smashing Pumpkins, U2, All right. Soul to Soul, uh, Boz Lerman's Ro- Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, Massive Attack, mm-hmm. and most importantly, most of Bjork's big hits. Okay. Like, like, I thought you were going to say something funny, but all right, that's fair. I, un- unfortunately, there's very little that I could find on his list that I was like, oh, that's hilarious, except that U2's early 2000 stuff is garbage and that's the most of the youtube yeah, stuff that he, that he produced um so he's got some really interesting stuff in there but i don't know how much of this is him and how much of this is sinead i i don't know either like i feel like you know going back and listening to this and listening to that uh, the lucy dacus song exploder like i don't think i really understood what synth pads were used for before that like you know i could like enjoy them passively as part of a song but they're like they are there to do things in a song that you don't notice um not always <laughs> i was gonna say 80s rock and metal when they used synth pads could be extremely overbearing so you're thinking like jump uh, yeah I, or like anything written by asia 
Yeah, like there's, I, I guess there, there's no like hard and fast line between like a synth pad and a synth lead, but I'm thinking about like stuff that has like almost no attack to it. Right. So like it can't really move very quickly and is really only for playing chords. Right. Um, but uh, so that that kind of stuff. So um, there's there's not a lot to talk about in terms of what Sinead did after this because she released another single from this album, The Emperor's New Clothes, which mm-hmm. did mildly okay, um, but she was not able to really find footing again after this, and she's still I think, around. I think she had a couple of hits off off like the two albums after that very minor yeah i mean nothing nothing touching this no no of course like she she unfortunately uh alienated a lot of people when she tore up a picture of the pope on saturday night live i was watching that when it when it first aired and you know it's it's tough because at the time she was trying to call out uh the prevalent abuse of minors in the catholic church and people got really pissed off because people love the Pope and you don't tear up a picture of the Pope. And then years later, it came out that, yes, this was definitely going on and was an epidemic. Yeah, she was right. And she was she was absolutely right. But I I don't know if you can point to that and say she completely killed her career at that point. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. But but it's it, you didn't see her much after that. She had a point in the early 2000s where she decided that she wanted to be a reggae performer. Yes. Um, Speaking of which, <laughs> are you aware that Belinda Carlisle of, of you know of the Go Go's and, and many and many uh, solo hits, her most recent two albums are both in languages other than English. But she to, she is American, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I okay. Like you need to vamp for a minute while I look this up because uh, I was I haven't even listened to any of the songs, but I was I was flabbergasted by this. Okay, here's my vamp. Um, I'm a not so closeted jam band fan, and <laughs> and in in the mid two thousands. Uh, there was a terrible idea launched called the Jammies, where they basically gave awards to jam band artists, which not only pigeonholed people that didn't want to be labeled as jam band artists into jam band artists, but gave awards to people who didn't deserve awards. (laughs) So it lasted for like three or four years. But the cool thing that came out- How many did uh, Leftover Salmon win? I I don't even want to know because talk about a band that does not appeal to me. Um, I don't even know anything about them. I just know the name. But but the cool thing that came out of it was it was produced by this guy, Pete Shapiro, who's this impresario in New York. Uh, He owns Capitol Theater, the Brooklyn Bowl, like these venues that get major acts. And he was able to recruit people from outside of the jam band world and have them sit in with people from inside the jam band world. Okay. And Sinead O'Connor was one of these people. And so in 2005, I want to say, she guested with Umphreys McGee and performed I'll Take You There with them. Mavis Staples and Huey Lewis. That is amazing. I when you, I saw this that you put this on the agenda, I tried to find a recording of it and couldn't. 
I'm not sure there's a recording out okay. there. Probably one of the performers said, no, not a chance. You're you're not releasing this anywhere. Yeah, but there must be a le- I mean, okay, at the Jammy Awards, every, literally, literally everyone in the audi- audience was recording everything, it's right? It's 2005. The iPhone doesn't exist yet. Yeah, but that, I mean... There are fan recordings of jam bands yes. okay. way uh, before I, that. I see where you're going with, with that. They had like fucking mini disc players and like eyeglass microphones. Side note, Umphreys McGee and Huey Lewis somehow became best friends after that. Okay. Umphreys became Huey's like favorite band. Members of Umphreys have guested with Huey Lewis in the news. Huey is actually on one of their albums. Like still to this day, they're like best buds. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, Belinda Carlisle. Got a couple couple things here. One, Belinda Carlisle. This is the important one. Uh, her most recent album, 2017, Wilder Shores. Unlike her previous releases, which is, have largely been characterized as pop music, it consists of a series of Sikh chants performed by Carlisle in Gurmukhi. It is her first studio album in 10 years since the release of Voila, a collection of chansons Carlisle performed in French. Is this Okay. I'm not. Uh, I think I feel like the French one is okay. Yeah. Not sure about the other one. Yeah, the, the French one. It's like, okay. I mean, uh-huh. I, I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to listen to this, but it's fine. The other one I hear it, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That, that sounds really, really like cultural appropriation. <laughs> it would depend a lot on the very specific circumstances. Yeah. Uh, good. Good for you for uh, crossing lines, Belinda. Uh huh. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to be sure to talk about, which I know we've talked about before, it was also uh, Prince related because I think we got into it on the TLC episode, is about what you should do when you are of a different gender than the person who made a song famous and want to cover the song. Uh, and this is specifically related to the Chris Cornell version because I like you know generally when we when we pick a song uh, for for an episode I will like go around singing the song like myself just all the time uh, especially if it's a good song like this one Matthew um, literally sent me an acapella version of himself just screaming uh, which part did did you, oh went to the doctor guess what he told me guess what he told me yeah um, and. When I go around singing this song, I do not change it to, boy, you better try and have fun no matter what you do, or I could put my arms around every girl I see. But that is what Chris Cornell did when he covered the song. And I find this so grating and so unnecessary and so kind of like, you know, no homo. Um, Totally. And like, you know, and I'm not I'm not picking on on Chris Cornell, obviously, who, uh, you know, is a beloved legend. And I think one of the greatest singers ever. But like just like if I can personally make a public service announcement, like if you are truly reinterpreting the song, fine, do what you need to do. But you're allowed to step into a character who may not have the same gender or sexuality as you when you are singing a song. I mean, I, you know, don't, I don't even think you're stepping into character. You're just singing the lyrics to right. a song. You know, Sinead O'Connor was not dumped uh, like 15 days before recording this song. It's a it's a song. Well, we don't know that. <laughs> maybe, but I, uh, maybe she was. That's but, maybe. But, that, but that's not the it's point. It's like we have to get into the studio now. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are you listening to this month, Matthew? Um, let's see. I feel like I was looking. I was looking at stuff. Um, I mean, Mitski has a new album coming out and has released yeah. three singles, and you know that's mainly it. 
I mean, of new stuff. Can, can she do anything badly? It doesn't seem like it. Like, really, really incredible. <laughs> I did. I did have this experience uh, where this happens to me like fairly often, where I did not realize that Mitski was popular. <laughs> Until my kid mentioned it. Well, and I didn't know who Mitski was until you introduced her to me, not personally, the music. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, I've never even heard of this person. And he said, oh, well, uh, she's playing at the Showbox Soto, a venue here in Seattle that holds 2,000 people, Mm -hmm. but it's sold out. Right. Okay. I should have realized then. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, what I want to recommend this, this month is the band Jungle, which... They're already they're already huge. Uh, their latest album, Loving in Stereo, came out, I think, in October. And they most recently, when they were here last month, were supposed to play the more that sold out in like two minutes. And so they played the thirty five hundred capacity Paramount Theater and that completely sold out. OK, so again, I don't think I know this band at all. They they are like it's it's hard to say they're dance pop because you think dance pop and you think like. Dua Lipa, and they're not sure. like that. They're a little bit more throwback than that. They're very, very stylized. They do like fast string arrangements, and but it's all like dance music, and their albums are made to be listened to all the way through because it's like a club banger. I I realized like sometime recently that like I went through a long period where I just liked listen to, listening to everything on shuffle, and I almost never do that anymore. Okay, so that brings me to another point that I was going to make. So now's the time of year that Spotify hands you all of your yeah, metrics, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and there's all of the people who get pissed off because we're like, well, you shouldn't be listening to Spotify at <laughs> <Sure>. all. Um, <laughs> but w- w- <laughs> I discovered this weird glitch in the Matrix. Okay. Uh, that... I only listen to albums all the way through. I don't put things on shuffle. It is very, very rare that somebody says, you've got to listen to this song, and I go in and listen to a song. Somebody will say, you got to listen to this song, and I'll listen to the entire album sure. off of. So one of the metrics that they give you is your top five most listened to songs. Okay. When you are listening to albums all the way through, even if you listen to that album a hundred times, it doesn't count each listen to each song as an individual listen. So my list of songs was basically random stuff that we did for Hidden Jukebox. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, me too. Yeah. Because, like, I probably listened to Tame Impala's album The Slow Rush a hundred times this year, but none of those songs were on my list because I never listened to them individually. I always listened uh, to this entire okay. album. So, so which of the songs that we did, like, showed up? Um, what was your top band of the year? My my top band of the year was Tame Impala because okay. that that doesn't change. Um, Mine was Metric, but Goose was like my top, like three of my top five songs because apparently I went in a couple times and listened to a couple single songs. But like when you look at how many times I listened to each of this, these songs, it was like three. Okay, and other people are like, "Oh man, I listened to this song five hundred times this this year. I must have really liked it." Um, are we contractually obligated as middle-aged white guys to talk about Get Back, or should we just skip it? Uh, I haven't watched it yet. Okay, so I've gonna, only watched the first hour, we're, so, we're so gonna we'll ha- talk about it next I, time. I'm, I'm trying to avoid <laughs> subscribing to Disney+, Plus, but I know that I have to for at least a month to watch this, yep. so we'll talk about it next time. But it's it's one of these things where it's like, you know I'm not going to come back and go, I don't really see what the buzz was about. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it, it sucked. I love the Beatles, but but not my thing. 
Yeah. So we'll we'll get back to that, I guess. All right. Uh, tell them where they can find us. Let's see. Hiddenjukebox.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash Hidden Jukebox. Instagram.com slash You can find us in the audience. Jukebox, hidden. Sorry. The audience where? At, at the Jammy Awards. Yeah. Uh, if they ever bring that back, trust me, I'll be there because I'm hoping to see a collaboration between uh, uh, Peter Gabriel and Leftover Salmon. Okay. I, I, yeah, that was where I got stuck. All I could think of was Leftover Salmon again. Uh, String Cheese Incident and um, Lionel Richie. Madonna. Yeah. What a feeling when they're all dancing on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I remember when that video debuted also. That was so great because he was actually, actually dancing, dancing on, on the, the ceiling. ceiling. <laughs> All right. Until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton. <laughs>